If excessive worry affects the quality of your life, then we've got a great episode for you today. Hi, welcome to Your Great Journey. Each week, we offer you brief tips, techniques, and insights to help you master big change. For more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. Worry is a thorn in our side, a rude audience member at the performance of our lives. Worry likes to trick you into thinking there's danger when there is none, and then urges you to fight, fly, or freeze. In today's episode, we're giving worry a taste of its own medicine, with an excerpt from the audiobook, The Worry Trick, how your brain tricks you into expecting the worst and what you can do about it. Written by psychologist and anxiety expert, David A. Carbonell. The Worry Trick shows you how anxiety hijacks the brain and offers effective techniques to help you break the cycle of worry once and for all. Anxiety is a powerful force. It makes us question our decisions and ourselves, worry about the future, all while filling our days with dread and emotional turbulence. The techniques in this audiobook, rather than encouraging you to avoid or try to resist anxiety, reveal the trick that lies beneath your anxious thoughts and teaches you why avoiding anxiety backfires and always makes things worse. In this excerpt, Dr. Carbonell shares his funny and wise thoughts on how worry tricks us. You'll learn the difference between doubt and danger and begin to feel more balanced and in control of your worries. What is the worry trick? The trick is this. You experience doubt and treat it like danger. We all live our lives as if we know what's going to happen. Most days when I leave for the office, I tell my wife and son what time I'll be home. I say it like we can count on it, but of course, I don't really know for sure. I might end up booking an extra appointment and staying late. I might be home early because my last appointment cancels. I might return some phone calls that become lengthy conversations. I might have a flat tire or get stuck in a traffic jam. If it's a really bad day, I might even die unexpectedly. I usually don't pay much attention to those doubts. I know they're there because I can't know what the future really holds, but they don't usually bother me too much. I just go on about my business and figure that I'll respond to events as they arise. That, literally, is life. Danger or Discomfort If you or I have a doubt that really bothers us, though, we're likely to respond very differently. We're likely to treat that doubt as if it were a sign of danger rather than the usual discomfort we can feel about uncertainty. When you get tricked into treating the discomfort of doubt as if it were danger, this leads you to struggle against the doubt, trying to remove the unwanted thoughts from your mind. How do you struggle against the doubt? You might try hard to prove to yourself that the feared event simply won't happen. This usually results in arguing with yourself and feeling more anxious as a result. You try to stop thinking about it, only to get the same results that come from banning books. It increases your attention to, and interest in, the unpleasant idea. 
you might try to do something to protect against the feared event and then find yourself worrying about whether or not that protection will be sufficient. You might bother your friends and family with repeated requests for reassurance. However, when they do tell you that you'll be okay, then you worry that they're just humoring you so you'll stop talking about it. And you get dug in deeper and deeper with more doubt and fear and more unsuccessful struggle against it. Fear of the Unknown People sometimes talk about fear of the unknown as if it were a special category of fear. Everything about the future is unknown. It's not the unknown part that people find scary. It's when they consider the future and think that they do know what will happen and that it's going to be bad. That's when they get afraid. If you were planning on cooking a special meal for your boss and her husband tonight and experienced the thought, what if I get stuck in a traffic jam on the way home? You might try and remove that doubt by making sure it couldn't happen. You could set your GPS to give you notices of traffic delays. You could check the highway department website for notices or call their 800 number. You could take local roads, even though that would make for a longer trip. You could call your spouse and ask what she thinks your chances are of getting stuck, trying to get some reassurance. You could develop a backup plan by identifying a restaurant that could deliver on short notice and keep their phone number handy. That might remind you that you're very dependent on your cell phone and you might start monitoring its battery strength very closely. If you had a winter cold that lasted longer than usual and experienced the thought, what if I have cancer or some other terrible illness? You might try similar methods to clear your mind of the worry. You might consult your physician, which is usually not a bad idea. But if that didn't clear your mind of this worry, you might consult several other doctors as well. You might read up on your symptoms on various internet sites. You might look at the obituaries to see if anyone your age had died of cancer recently. You might look at a medical encyclopedia. You might ask the neighbors if they knew of any colds going around. In each case, you could expend a lot of time and effort trying to prove to yourself that you have nothing to worry about, that there is no chance of getting caught in a long traffic jam or of having cancer. Unfortunately, you probably won't get much relief from these efforts because you can't really prove that something won't happen. You can recognize that it's very unlikely, but there's no way to prove to yourself that some calamity isn't going to happen tomorrow because just about anything, no matter how improbable, is possible if your rules of evidence are loose enough. So I can't prove that nothing will make me late for dinner tonight because it's impossible to be sure. The thought just doesn't bother me. However, if I did feel really bothered by that thought, I would probably be tempted to try to get rid of that thought, and that's where I might run into trouble. Can you predict the future? A husband who worried a lot about auto accidents would probably get very nervous whenever his wife didn't arrive home at the expected time. He might call her cell phone to verify that she was okay, and if she happened to have her phone turned off or buried so deep in her purse that she couldn't hear it, his attempt to make himself more comfortable would result in more doubt and fear. Then he might turn on the TV to see if there were any news stories about car crashes. He might think about calling local hospitals to see if she was there. He might drive around to see if he could spot her car somewhere. And even as he drove around, he'd worry about missing a call from the hospital on the landline, if they still have one. He might just stay home, pacing and worrying, and wondering if he should do something. How worrying backfires on you. 
This is a central irony of worry, that your efforts to stop worrying so often backfire on you. All too often, when you try to talk yourself out of a worry, you're likely to fail. Then, you take your failure to prove that nothing bad will happen as evidence that something bad will happen. You get more worried as a result of your effort to stop worrying. That's the heart of the trick. None of us knows the future. We know everyone dies, so far, but we don't know when and we don't know how. Most likely, tomorrow will be pretty similar to today. But if you try to prove it won't be different, you can't. And if you take your failure to prove that it won't be different as evidence that something bad will happen, you're in for a lot of worrying. Here's an example from my own life. Shortly after my son was born, he developed jaundice. His skin was yellow. It's common among newborns, pretty harmless, and generally disappears within a few days. If treatment is necessary, the standard treatment is light therapy, in which the child wears a special light for several days. My son needed the light therapy. Our conversation with our pediatrician went very poorly. My wife asked what would happen if the light didn't fix the problem. He said this was unlikely, that it almost always worked, and mentioned some really rare problems that could develop if it didn't. She asked what we could do then, and he mentioned a few minor procedures that would probably help. She asked what we'd do if those failed. The doctor said that was unlikely, but that in an extreme situation, a complete blood transfusion, the replacement of all the blood in our son's body, would probably solve the problem. She asked if that was safe, and he said that the blood supply is generally safe, but that there's always the risk of contracting AIDS, hepatitis C, and other diseases from a blood transfusion. What an agonizing ten minutes that was. We had gone, in seconds, from arranging pretty routine care for our beautiful son to contemplating the prospect that he would get AIDS before his first birthday. And it was all foolishness, not because we were fools, but because we all did what came naturally in our roles as parents and doctors. My wife asked for concrete answers to remote hypothetical questions in an effort to calm her worries. The pediatrician answered them literally and completely, hoping to remove our doubts. I did nothing because I couldn't figure out how to make it better. The result was that we spent time vividly worrying about a terrible problem that was almost, but not quite, guaranteed not to happen. For several days, until the jaundice began to slowly fade, we lived with intermittent thoughts of our son contracting a dread disease. I say almost, but not quite, guaranteed not to happen because you can't ever get a satisfying guarantee that something won't happen. Even if it's something that appears impossible, you won't get the certainty you want. Here's an example of what I mean. What if the law of gravity gets repealed and we float upside down in the air, banging our heads? That's impossible because, insert highly technical proof, quantum mechanics, law of thermodynamics, fundibulum, and blah, blah, blah. But what if it does happen? Worry always gets the last word. Let me ask you something now. Does your car have a flat tire? Don't look out the window. When I ask people this question as we sit in my office, they almost always say no. But they can't see their car from my office. How did they know? They don't know, for sure. It's just that they didn't have a flat the last time they looked at their car, and that's good enough for them. Unless they have a particular issue of worrying about getting a flat, they assume that the tires are still okay. But with the particular topics they worry about, 
They want to feel absolutely certain that they don't have a problem, and so they continually try to prove that the problem they fear doesn't and won't ever come to pass. If they wanted to be sure of not having a flat, they would probably want to go down to the parking lot during the session to check and would likely mention their doubts as we talked, looking for reassurance. There's a way out of this problem, and this audiobook will help you find it. If you're like most people who struggle with worry and anxiety, you probably have mixed feelings about even listening to this audiobook. You hope that it has some answers, but you also worry that it will create more trouble for you. You might figure that you have enough worries on your own, you don't need any help thinking up new ones. Maybe you looked at it online, took a listen for 30 seconds, maybe a minute, ready to close the browser window if you started to feel anxious listening to it. People are often so used to distraction and other ways to try to avoid unpleasant thoughts that the idea of listening to an audiobook about worry seems worrisome. It goes against their natural instinct of seeking to avoid worry. So, you might feel more anxious when you first start listening to these words. In fact, it's very likely. I understand how uncomfortable that is, but I want you to be aware that it's not a bad sign at all. The first time people come to see me for help with anxiety and worry is usually the most anxiety-provoking visit. They hope they'll get a good result, they're afraid that they won't, and they're particularly afraid that our conversation will lead them to worry more rather than less. It's anticipatory anxiety, the kind you're likely to experience just before you become engaged in a task. Have you ever stood on a beach at the water's edge trying to get used to the temperature of the water before you go in? You might stand there for a while feeling cold, splashing some water on your ankles, trying to get used to it, but probably feeling colder for all your effort, standing there in the breeze and feeling the difference between your skin temperature and the temperature of the water. You won't really acclimate to the water temperature until you get in, and then you will feel more comfortable. Your natural desire to feel comfortable first causes you to experience more discomfort as you literally postpone and delay the moment of relief that comes with getting in the water. That's how it usually works with worry. It's okay to feel nervous at the outset, and actually very predictable. Don't be tricked by that nervousness. It will fade. Come on in. The water's okay. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from the audiobook, The Worry Trick. How your brain tricks you into expecting the worst and what you can do about it. You can purchase the complete audiobook from any major online audiobook retailer. If you'd like more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, please rate it and review it. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E-M-E-D-I-A dot com.